In a make-believe world as vast as Hollywood can offer, there are movies that stood the test of time to us and to us alone. These films may or may not resemble the critically acclaimed classics that have acquired accolades at glittering star-studded award ceremonies, but have won their way into our hearts. These movies are not iconic, but myconic. This time we watch a sexily quaffered male lead feel the wrath of a quadriplegic crime boss, and Prohibition Chicago is enforced by a family man and his bald Scottish mate. The films are Things to Do in Denver When You're Dead and Untouchables. Okay, well, it's the new year. New year, new episode. And for this particular episode, we're going to be adopting a little bit of a different slant on the movies we're watching. We said we wanted to do two films which are um, more critically acclaimed, perhaps, and or more... Um, gooder. Gooder. Good, better, bester, yeah. Um, than our previous offerings. So... I noticed you had a Coke Zero there. What would be yeah. your beverage of choice when you're doing the podcast generally? Cup of tea, but I couldn't tea. be bothered. Couldn't be bothered. I wasn't up for a hot drink tonight, so I went for a sparkling Vim Toe. Oh, now is that one that you've made yourself? No. Like is, Have you had cordial? A, oh, it's in a can. It's in a can. Straight can. Because I think just the mix is just about right for the Vimto sparkling in the can. Yeah. Um, but yeah, usually I like a caffeine boost, but I, I wasn't up for a hot drink, but I like something to wet my whistle. Well, we're, we're so posh now. Like, I, So I've, as you say, I've got a can of Coke Zero. Mm-hmm. You've got a can of Vimto. Grow, growing up, we couldn't afford cans. Canned drinks? No. We'd have to have cordial and lemonade, or we we did have a soda stream. I think now that was th- a that bit was the nineties. Of... This is another thing the kids just wouldn't really. Although they do still do them now. The soda stream was a nineties phenomenon, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, we we inherited one from my auntie. I want to say, and hers was properly old school too. So you got the gas canisters in, mm-hmm. and of course that fizzied the water. Yes. And then you added your syrup of choice. Yes. Um to make the fizz. We didn't we didn't have syrup. We just would just added, put it with with cordial like yeah, with like squash. I think that's what we did most of the time, yeah, to be fair. But then we um this one, it wasn't a button that you pushed, it was a lever. Whoa. So it was like you'd go you'd put the the bottle Like in. a one arm bandit. Yeah, literally. And it would go and it would let like oh great a blast of gas in from the nice it would open up the valve of the canister at the back carbon carbonate the the water and would that would that dose the right amount of fizz yeah just the one that's all it needs the one pull I think there were a few cavalier moments where Ooh, someone went for pull. a couple of, <laughs> a couple of pulls on the soda street arm and I'm going to make this extra fizzy. And I think it just resulted in like the rim and stuff bubbling over, and it just, like, <laughs> bursting out the sides. And it didn't end well, and and I wouldn't have said the water was any much fizzier. It just meant the pressure no. inside got greater. Yeah, 
we, we created essentially a crude uh, pressure chamber that was highly Because surely, surely once it hits the atmosphere, all that extra fizz is just gone it's anyway, just gone. surely. Yeah, it just yeah. escapes. You can only carbonate the volume of water in the canister so much. Yeah. But anyway, we digress. That was a lovely. That was a lovely moment, wasn't it? We, well, it was sort of relevant that it was a '90s phenomenon. Yes, and we are going to review one at least one, one. '90s mm. film uh, today. So we have uh, my choice, which was "Things to Do in Denver When You're Dead," which is from 1995, and then your choice which was uh, The Untouchables, uh, which I believe is 1987. Yes. So uh, probably one film more monumental than the other. Um, mm. Albeit, maybe, I don't know, I wouldn't even go as far as to say things to do in Denver when you're dead is a cult classic even. It's a bit left field. Yeah, I mean, when I did research, there wasn't a lot... Like, usually you go to, like, a Wikipedia page to pick up on, on what people have said about it, get all the history. Things to do in Denver, Your Dead was a very short page. There wasn't a whole lot of information mm. on there. So I, I I think it sort of, like, slipped under the radar. Yeah, not even, like, a, a cult classic, really. Mm. Um, I, I like to think of it more as... A hidden gem. Yeah, right. Something that if you're aware of, you watch it, you go, oh yeah, I enjoyed that. That was pretty good. Mm. Um, but certainly wasn't hitting the cinemas back in the day as a mainstream big time movie. It, it largely flopped at the bit at the box office. Mm, yeah. Didn't didn't do very well at all. Oh, okay. I didn't I mean I wasn't aware of its its commercial success, but um mm, no, certainly it, something it didn't. That, that I enjoyed. Anyway, but should we start with... Well, let's start with that. Let's start with it. We've kind of led into it naturally, so we'll go with it. So to give a bit of background, um, this is the Apple TV description, uh, which <laughs> is... I'll just read it. Um, sexy Andy Garcia. <laughs> Flipping eh? That's the first three <laughs> words. Sexy Andy Garcia. Well, uh, I... I'm not arguing with it. Okay, he is in this. Sexy Andy Garcia heads an outstanding all-star cast in this riveting and highly original thriller. Now, again, I don't know if I'd have billed this as a thriller. It's got suspenseful no. moments, but yeah, it's, it's more no. comedic, isn't it, in its tone, I would have said. Really? Do you think... I don't know. I don't know whether I would call it comedic. Mm. It's a... It's difficult. It's a difficult one to crack. It's not even like, well, it's sort of like a crack. I don't know. I don't know. I, I I wouldn't know how to place it. Let's call it a thriller. Thriller. So when a powerful mob boss, played by Christopher mm. Walken, gives ex-gangster Jimmy the Saint, played by Garcia, one last job, it's an offer he can't refuse. But when someone gets killed, Jimmy and his partners are marked for death leaving Jimmy just 48 hours to put things right for his buddies and the woman of his dreams. Who, in this instance, just happens to have met him within that time frame. That, that, yeah, right. So, um, I'll go into how I kind of, reasons why I chose it 
Um, but when yes. when did you first see this film? Okay, so again, this is benefit of having an older brother. Mm. Um, so he had this on VHS, oh. bought, um, bought, and that's and that's for. bought and paid for. And he, I've I've now bought it because I didn't want to rent it. So I I bought it for six quid or whatever it was on um, on Apple. So I now own this film myself. Brilliant. Um, so yeah, so it was just he. Now there was two films that he bought at the time, or that I remember that he he owned. So there was this, and there was uh, Two Days in the Valley, and I couldn't remember which one was which. So when you when you um, suggested this, you've watched a completely different film. <laughs> I, con- I conflated two films, and I didn't know like what happened in each film. Okay, like so I was conflating like parts from one with parts from the other and kind of amalgamating the two so yeah i i'd have i'd have watched this you know with my brother really okay well this one for me i suppose it's a myconic film i like it for a number of reasons which we'll get into um but this i actually watched this when i was at uni so the well, that was the first time you watched it. First time, yes, I watched it. Like, and how did you come across it? So I was living with a fella, um, my housemate, who was actually a friend of my brother's, and Got it. like they'd known each other for years, were kids, teenagers together from the northeast yeah. up in Middlesbrough, and um, they used to talk about this film, or at least reference the film with a load of different right. lines that have be, kind of become like a little bit of an in-joke to mm-hmm. those who'd seen the, the movie. And he had it on DVD. So mm-hmm. this was obviously, I think, when was this? 2009. So DVD was the, the, the prevalent format mm-hmm. of choice. And um, so I thought, oh, sorry, it's all right if I watch it and... Um, and kind of get a, a handle on what you're always talking about. And sure. It, they'd always said it was a, a good film anyway to watch. So I watched it and I really enjoyed it to the point where I think during my time at uni when I knew Sai had the DVD, I watched it a few times, at least once a year when I was right. <laughs> once a year at uni. Um, so yeah, that's how I came across it. And um, yeah, each time I watch it, I think I get, I get something different from it every time. It's, it's a movie <laughs> that keeps on giving in that sense. Well, what what did you what was it about it just like broadly that you that that re- that you really liked about it? Broadly, I think well, we talked there about it being a thriller. And yeah. there are elements of thriller about it. I suppose cinematically speaking, um from a, a, certainly a cinematographer's point of view, the film itself is in many ways out and out film noir in terms of yes. how, it, how it is. The visuals from the high contrast lighting to the, the Dutch angles to the... Th- Explain a Dutch angle. I think I know what it is, but... So a Dutch angle is a, a shot of a, a scene that's askew. So, it's so almost, instead of it being like level yeah. square on kind of thing it's and, and is that sometimes from like from a lower angle a and, time, and a, like almost like a, an and but also like this the, the screen is 
jaunty, yeah. not jaunty, off a, a, a funny, a funny. Yeah, not to the point where it's a distraction, but to yes. the point where you are perhaps psychologically aware that it's slightly off, and There's it's done in this. a way, yeah, to create a sense of unease generally Got it. In, in the viewer. Got it. And this is done a number of different times throughout the movie to to do just that. I've, I feel that that was a, a common thing used in the nineties, like. Mm. Almost to the point of overkill. Not, not in the, I'm not talking about in this film, but like it was, it was quite prevalent. Mm. Just, just to have that, like a slightly different angle, even it, even if it didn't really warrant it, mm. just as like a, a, an artistic choice, just to kind of throw in a, what, what's it called, the Dutch, a Dutch angle. I don't know why it's called angle. a Dutch angle necessarily, but that's what it's known as, right? In the biz. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that um, kind of lent itself to that genre. But one of the things that I like about it, to compare it to a lot of things that are perhaps even around today, I'd say it's quite ahead of its time in as much as, um, like for instance, I'm a big fan of The Bear, okay, the, mm. the series. And they build that as uh, a comedy drama. That's how they build right. it. And yeah. I would say if I was to, describe things to do in Denver when you're dead now, especially knowing and being more aware of that term, I'd probably describe it as a comedy drama. Yeah. Because there's a, a dramatic plot throughout. Yes. You know, this this ex-criminal has been drawn back into that underworld to do a job that's gone wrong. Mm-hmm. People are, are dying as a result of the botched job itself. And then this crime boss, Christopher Walken, who's ordered it, um, is disgruntled at the fact that it's all gone wrong and this job was commissioned mm. at his behest. Um, so there's obviously that serious undertone, but the dialogue and the characters and some of the scenarios are yeah. absolutely hilarious. Um, and I think it's it's nice because it offers comic relief in a lot of places. Mm. Um, but then, like I say, coming back to the drama elements, there's lots of um, lots of quite poignant moments. Uh, throughout like kind of dotted throughout um mainly i suppose the more poignant bits and the one thing that i really enjoyed actually is jimmy's trying to be a legit businessman with his video business that yeah records terminally ill people to leave these messages to their living relatives after they're gone Mm -hmm. and i like how they keep coming back to that throughout the movie they keep cutting back to these people who are leaving these little pearls of wisdom yeah, because it provides, it gives first of all a sense of time passing and elapsing because these people are terminal, and the idea is Jimmy the Saint's only got forty eight hours to get out of town, or he's a dead man. Right, he he's terminally terminally ill in a different way. Yeah. Like his impending death is coming. His situation is terminal, being put on him. Yeah, yeah. so it, it's kind of runs parallel with that, um, but they're also quite poignant as well. Some of them are are quite serious um and they can also create um like you say that sense of humor as well from some of the stuff they share which is totally almost irrelevant but still funny in and of itself yeah um so yeah it spans a a number of different genres i think which i like um certainly not a, a family movie necessarily but um no definitely not definitely not well because i read and I think this is a, 
an inappropriate description is that um, some of the criticism that it got was that it was trying to be like a Tarantino-esque film. And I didn't buy into that at all. Like, I didn't feel that it was trying to be Tarantino. I think I think the story, you know, it could, could be in the hands of Tarantino. I think he could make something of the story, mm. um, you know, kind of... Because, again, it's that kind of criminal criminal gang sort of a bit um cobbled together like there's it's a bit of reluctance and it's not like this they're not like a slick operation in terms of the, yeah. the people that he, he bands together to to do this job and you know you've got the sinister the man with the plan christopher walken's character mm. um who could could be in a tarantino film but i think to call it to criticise it because it was trying to be Tarantino-esque. Hmm. I just don't, I don't, I don't buy into that at all. But but maybe just because Tarantino was in the zeitgeist at the time, you know, I don't know what, I don't know what year Pulp Fiction came out, but he, he in, in the 90s was like, for me, I think that was his heyday. You know, yeah. Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, Jackie Brown and that. But I just, I, I, I don't, I didn't feel, I, I didn't watch it until some, until I read that, I didn't think, Oh, this is trying to be Tarantino. Mm. Yeah, I, I made note of that. I think because it came in the Tarantino age of mm. movies, people are naturally going to make that comparison. Mm. And I think one of the reasons people probably do make the comparison is it, it came at a time where script and character were kind of paramount to drive in a film and lead in a right. film. And like at the start of the film itself, you come in, at a point where relationships and characters are already really well established, but because yeah. of how they're introduced to us, we already feel like we're part of it. Right. So like with the guy, Joe at the diner, who's, he comes in and regales all the young lads who come in to talk about, you know, okay. the local yeah. underbelly and the criminal uh, mm. element in Denver. And he tells you about all these characters and who they are. Mm. And the fact that they've all got these nicknames that were being introduced to them. It's not, it's not like, uh, you know, Jimmy Tosney, it's Jimmy the Saint and it's yeah. Critical Bell and it's Freddie Franchise, right. Easy Wind. It's all these characters that you just come in and that's how they're introduced to you. You're not given the yeah. real names, you're given these aliases. Yes. And then you get like a little potted history as the story progresses. Um, mm. And like you say, with Tarantino movies, like you could put this in Tarantino's hands and say, roll with this. Yeah. But it would be a completely different film, I yeah. think. Yeah. Um and and that's not a bad thing. Um I think I like it because it's not necessarily like a Tarantino movie. Mm, yeah. Um it doesn't rely perhaps a lot on the shock and awe, albeit there's quite some graphic scenes in terms mm. of violence and people being killed. But it could have been way more violent. Mm. I mean when when you talk about the the, the um Steve Buscemi's character who who is like the hitman. Mr. Shush. And, yeah, this is just, and he and he has a, a penchant for for shooting people up the up the, up bomb. the bomb for the buckwheat's hit <laughs> the buckwheat's because it takes longer for the, it's really painful and it takes you know they're in agony for hours mm. until they die yeah. you know put that in Tarantino's hand that could have been because it's never graphic you never really see it happen you see somebody suffering from it yeah but, you, but it's not it's not graphic you don't actually see it happening. Mm. 
Whereas in Tarantino's hands, I think it would have been more explicit mm-hmm. and I think you would have seen it more graphically. Yeah, I think um, one of the things that I also like is how they use perhaps potentially quite disturbing things to provide a bit of humour to. Yeah. Like there are, um, there are moments in it where you know that even though what they're saying might have been scripted, there's been genuine reactions where they've found themselves laughing at what they're saying. Mm. Like the bit with Christopher Walken. One, Christopher Walken's a paraplegic who's moving, <laughs> or quadriplegic, who's mm. moving around using a straw to blow him and like has his, his goons that are next to him, like crossing his legs and stuff yeah. to make him seem more dignified <laughs> yeah. as he's talking yeah. to people. That in and of itself is going to be hard to act opposite, isn't it? Because you've just yeah. got Christopher Walken being treated like that and acting like that as a, a visual for starters. Mm-hmm. And then he starts taking the mick out of Andy Garcia talking about his business and how it's like, for, um, this is obviously during like the tail end of the HIV pandemic as well in the early 90s. And he's talking about him sidling up to all these gay clients and then right. he starts being really derogatory oh, in and of itself it's really homophobic it's awfully yeah. homophobic and then but as he's saying it it just comes out and you can tell he just starts laughing afterwards because it's so mm. ridiculous and then it cuts to andy garcia who's laughing as well and they're just obviously that's a real moment that they've managed to catch yeah. and i think there's there's two other moments where andy garcia i don't think he can hold it together he just finds himself laughing where um He's, they've gone to see Critical Bill. He's rounding up the crew to do the job. Mm-hmm. And Critical Bill's working in a funeral home. And yeah. he's got some dead guy, like, hung up like a punching bag. Up. And he's just going to yeah. town on this guy. Like, but it's like an old man in, like, his suit. He's fully, like, <laughs> funeral suit ready to be put in the yeah. casket. He's yeah, just and he's just him hung out, him up. Strung yeah. him up, and he's just going to town on him. And then... Andy Garcia and uh, Freddie Franchise turn up and he doesn't know he's there and he's just carrying on. And there's a moment where they're looking in, he's proper shocked, and then Andy Garcia looks at William Forsyth and they both just start laughing because of what they're saying and how mad it looks. Um, And then the other laugh as well later on in the film is when, of course, everyone after the hit's gone wrong is trying to go to ground or they're leaving town and everything else. But Critical Bell decides, I know I'm just going to stay in a tiny bed sit, um, arms yeah. to the teeth, waiting yeah. for this guy to come and get me. Not not sleeping. <laughs> yeah, I've been awake for four days straight. Um, and so, and because he's not going out, I don't even know why he's doing this. You'd think if there's a bathroom. There must be a toilet, yeah. The toilet. But he's piddling in like big milk jugs. Yeah, those gallon and, um, jugs. So yeah, he just flaming rip, rips the flipping cap off, whips it out in front of Andy Garcia and just starts piddling <laughs> in this thing. And Andy Garcia, you can see him sniggering because he's trying to be disgusted, like holding a hanky to his nose because it stinks, <laughs> but he's just there <laughs> laughing at what he's saying. <laughs> so there's some nice reaction uh, reactions in the moment, which you find, you, just, you find yourself laughing along with. In terms of other scenes, what did you enjoy? Well, I, th- I, I mean, first of all, I mean, the cast is the cast is brilliant. I mean, the, the you know, and, and Andy, sexy Andy Garcia, you've got, um, yeah, Christopher Walken, who was massive at the time as well. Mm. Like, the, like these are Steve Buscemi, um, 
uh, what's his name? The um, uh, Chris. Oh, what's his name? It, it was in Back to the Future. Chris. Christopher Lloyd. Christopher Lloyd. Yeah. Um, yeah, really, really, really. You good even cast. had like um, Don Cheadle just as like a bit part. Oh yeah, yeah, he is. It's, it's, I don't even think he's credited, but like, yeah, he he's just like in the um, in the club, isn't he? When they're when they're hiding him, <laughs> hiding the one guy. <laughs> Um, is it uh, Baby Sinister when they're hiding Easy yeah. Easy Wind? Yeah. Oh, Easy Wind, that's his name. But yeah, uh, I've, I I think the story's really, really good. I think that the... Um, I think that the, the, the way the group dynamic works, works, you know, that they are this ramshackled um, kind of bunch... And then I, 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 I like the way that the, the story progresses. I just think that it is a, a really solid story. I mean, I, the, I, I don't think it's flawless. I think that there, there, are, there are some gaping holes in terms of like... Um, I mean, I, I, again, it's that kind of r- romance that, you know, he just meets this woman, mm. you know, moments before. But I get it. I get it. It's like a, it's a ruse. It's just a, a plot point. It's just something so we can, so it's like he, we're feeling more emotion for him because now he's got something, he's got somebody that he loves that he could lose. He's just found her as well. Ju- like yeah, right. Timing. The other thing that I think um, didn't really work for me, but I understand why it's in there was the uh, the sex worker that wants to have a baby mm, and he 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 ultimately like Consent. gives her his seed <laughs> um, and then and then he does one of his own videos yeah. for his yeah. unborn child i think that's a bit of a, it's a bit daft but but i understand like why it's in there to give that kind of heart and to give that kind of bring it full circle in terms of what he's what he's doing and stuff, um, but I thought that the the cast is brilliant, the the direction is brilliant, the story is brilliant. Um, yeah, I I just think it's 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 not an amazing film, but I think I think it's a, it was a a really good watch. I really enjoyed watching it, mm. and and it and I as I was watching it, I was remembering watching it. As you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, however old I was, well, it'd been 25 years ago. Mm. Um, I think there's, like, you, you bring up the point about him making the video at the end for his unborn child, knowing that he's going to be taken out. And that's kind of, it's probably one of the more poignant moments of the film. But I think the, for me, the real heartbreaking moment is when he. Um, we've kind of, I suppose, it's all in the title, really, but we've kind of spoiled it, the fact that he does get killed in the end. Yeah. <laughs> um, but also the idea that this whole thing has come about because of the idiocy, if you like, and or simple nature of Christopher Walken's son and him kind of going astray romantically and mentally as a result of this love that he's lost. Um which was meant to be part of the job that they're trying to fix, get rid of the, mm. the boyfriend of this girl who was in love with Christopher Walken's son so that it can get back together and all will be well. 
And mm-hmm. of course, that never happens because the job goes wrong. Hence, Christopher Walken's rage um, mm-hmm. and the consequences. But um, the real heartbreaking moment for me is you kind of get the idea that Bernard, the guy, the the son, yeah, is you do get the impression he's yeah he's a bit simple. He's he's not particularly yes. smart. He's he's as much in many ways a victim in all this than somebody who is aware and knows what's going on. Mm. And then right at the end, uh, Andy Garcia is like, in order for me to get what I need from what's going to happen to me, i.e. I'm going to be killed, I'm going to have to take him out. Yeah. And he doesn't want to, and you can see he doesn't want to because he knows he's just killing it. Like an innocent, like well, he's not an innocent, but like a child, yeah, 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 yeah. a childlike guy. Well, yeah, because Chris Christopher Walken, what he should have done instead of getting Jimmy to to go and scare off the the new boyfriend to to Bernard's childhood sweetheart, Mm. is maybe just to like get Bernard some therapy or something. Yeah, in the long run. That probably would have been the right outcome yeah. and the right the right solution to this, instead of this convoluted scheme to try and get his sweetheart to sack him off. Sack sack, yeah, off. sack off the boyfriend and maybe come back to him because he's yeah because Bernard has become a bit of a well. I mean, he's very problematic. The the opening scene is oh, yes. is him scaling a fence, yeah, and um, <laughs> but the and thing is, even that over to is child. Com- even that's comedic because he gets obviously nothing happens. He gets taken down by the yes, teachers, thank goodness. and then the yeah. crowd of kids gather around going loser, loser. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's only because it back in. I don't remember. Um, as because I I must have been about the same age as those kids, maybe a little bit older. Yeah, and and really. and we I, I don't know that we'd have gone nonce nonce gathered round and pointed. But uh, today, absolutely, that would be oh, the response. The they wouldn't be, be shouting. They we <laughs> phones would be out. They'd have recorded the lot. They'd have been flipping a few. Hey, look what's going on. It'd have been on the flipping. TikTok, Snapchat. Oh, instantly, yeah. The works instantaneously. But yeah, he should he should have just got him some some therapy. Yeah. And and all these people are now dead because the, the man with the plan had a terrible plan that went terribly wrong. Yeah. And he just he wanted to And it him. goes wrong because you may what's what's his name? The the nut job. Mm. Who does know he's a nut job? Like he's he is self-aware, apart from that one moment where he asks Jimmy, you know, can I, um, can I be like point man? Can I, can I, can I be one of the cops? <laughs> yeah. And he just absolutely loses his nut and kills, kills the kid. Um, but it, apart from that, he knows he's a, he's a nut, he's a nutter and that he has s- severe problems. Um, and it seems like he has, uh, somewhat of a, I didn't fully get this because I I couldn't really understand some of the dialogue, but when 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 um when the guy comes because he he and the 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 other guy they've been in prison together haven't they? Mm. What's his name? What's his name again? Which which one? 
the whis- somebody whisperer. <laughs> what is that his name? The whisperer. <laughs> the black guy. Easy wind. Easy wind. Sorry. So they've been. I assume that what I took from it is they've been in prison together, mm. but they've had a falling out. That there's something gone on in prison yeah. that has caused them to. You don't really know like... what it is. You don't even get the well, full picture, but you have an idea, don't you? Well, I had to put subtitles on. Right. And it sounded like, from what I could make out, because it still wasn't clear even with subtitles on, is that um, the nutter whose name is... Critical Bill. Critical Bill has some kind of... Um, fascination with... Scatological things. <laughs> what I took, okay, so what I took from it was so Easy Wind has only gotten half the story, in as much as he's hearing on a different, in a different part of the prison, because he talks about right. being in the brig, which I can only assume is another uh, separate wing in the prison. Okay. Maybe even given his condition, some kind of mental wing. Right, okay. Um, where they have to keep a close eye on people with those kind of problems. And he talks about, it's almost like he's challenged by another um, inmate to eat turd. Right. And he said he's going to give him $500, did he say he was going to give him? Something like that. Whereas he thinks it's something kinky. I think Easy Wind's heard, oh, he's getting kinky with another prisoner. Right. And he's like, oh, man, that's not what I'm into. Therefore, you and me, it's finished. Oh, we don't. Whereas we got it. He's thinking, 500 quid? Sweet. I'm going <laughs> to flip in, take a taste of that. Oh. And that's when he goes on. It was like, it didn't even taste of nothing. Kind of oh. spongy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I made a note. I could have done without the scat chat. The scat chat, yeah. They didn't really need to entertain that. Really go. They, they went on for a bit too long, in my, uh, in my opinion. <laughs> And then, but then, and then it kind of holds up that he's, you know, that he is saving his his uh, number ones in in these milk jugs and keeping them on top of the fridge and stuff instead oh. of just like pouring them away. So I think this guy's got a serious kind of. Well, it's very. He has apparent. got some kind of a kink. It's very apparent. And one thing I also noticed is, that, and I think in this and Ocean's Eleven. Hmm is Andy Garcia has a very distinct walk and it is like his signature move. It's it's all arms. Yes. He yes. has a very distinct kind of swaying arms as as he walks with with absolute purpose. With purpose, yeah, that's yeah. describe. I couldn't I couldn't imagine him strolling anywhere. No. It, it's like a, he's he's walking with purpose and his and his arms have a very distinct motion. Yeah, they're like, like down the by his sides. Um, yes, slightly away from the body. It, it yeah. almost seems like he hands. He always has his hands in like fists. Never. Yes. Never relaxed. Yeah. And and yeah, he's moving his arms, isn't he? Left to right. Yeah. Like, almost like he's being. But not given... in a big, not in a big swing. They're not. They're not like. It's not like a big movement, like forwards and backwards. But it's just like a. It's a almost small, like just like sway. It's a small fulcrum, isn't it? Yeah. Of, <laughs> yeah. Of left and right movement to move him to, to push him forward. Yeah. Um, yeah, that is a very good point, Andy Garcia. I have to. And he always has the same haircut as well. Do you reckon that's just? He now is is that part of the costume design, or do you reckon that's written into his contract? 
Don't touch the hair. Touch this hair. is Garcia hair. In fairness to Garcia's hair, it is a, a rich crop. Oh, it is. That is thick. Dark, lustrous yeah. hair. Oh, I'd die for that hair. Like the soil. <laughs> <laughs> rich. It just keeps giving. Uh, yeah, that maybe. I would say it probably is, because obviously actors take on different looks for different jobs, and if the, the the hair is a thing that might need to be tampered to accommodate a look, maybe he says no. And the Garcia does not cut his hair. Yeah. And this was this was another thing. So I did think that this was now, okay, Andy Garcia's character is so smooth. Not all the time, like there was a couple of creepy things he did. Right, so he, <laughs> I've got a note of creepy things that he did. I'm intrigued okay. to see what your creepy more. Okay, so so the first the first thing that I noted of creep yeah. was <laughs> now I think so he's, he he meets this woman in, in like a bar, yeah. and he is it is it like one of the first is it while she's like writing down his num her number or something he smells her hair yeah so he does a little it's almost like you've done that move before like oh hundred percent he holds the piece of paper or whatever it is she's writing on in front of her so she moves forward to then right. look at where she's writing it and mm-hmm. as she moves forward closer to his arm it immediately puts him in a position where he can just lean in and just take a little no that is that is proper (laughs) creepy weird have you never smelled your wife's hair david yeah my wife's (laughs) yeah never someone you've just met no hell no because that is that's really weird but let me ask you this then why is it weird okay I think it's because it's socially, we just haven't accepted it yet. But maybe one day, the hair sniff will I, I, come. Do you know what it is for me? It's because it's non-consensual. He, he, has, he has not asked permission. This is not, this is not a, there's a, there's a power dynamic going on here. I, yeah, I okay. feel that, that she is not, she's not, yeah, it's, she is not consented to her hair being sniffed. And, and I think that that is a boundary that has been broken there, and I think it's inappropriate. Mm. If they were, if they were dating, if they were, if she was aware that it was happening, you know that it's it's just that it's really sly, you know, and and it's so soon, it's so soon mm. that he's straight in for the hair sniff. That's my that's why I have a problem with it. Yeah, the, the hair sniff. In fairness, in my list of creepy things that he does during this film, the hair sniff is one of them. Can I can I now give you a counteract the the creepy hair sniff with a, a move? I'm going to call it a move because I don't have a better vocab for it. Where he is super smooth, and I, as I was watching it, and and my wife was watching it with me, we both went, Ooh. "That is smooth." <laughs> yeah. So first date. And I I hate it. Okay, I'm going to leave out the other kind of like smarmy bit and let's move I'm going to talk about the good thing that he did so he he, he goes back to her apartment mm-hmm. walks her to her apartment mm-hmm. and she says oh do you want to come in for a cup of coffee or something and he says he says something like we don't I don't kiss on the first date no his exact response was I want to come in more than I want the ascot to come back into style <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> that is a great That's line. His line. That's a great line. But he says, no, I, I don't kiss on the first date. It's a rule. It's his rule, Jimmy the same. And, and, and I thought, that is brilliant. Because she's keen and, he, and it leaves her wanting, wanting more, more, right? So he, door closes, few moments pass, and then he knocks on the door again. And he's like, just noticed, it's after 12. Te- and she and then she goes, so technically this is the second day. Yeah, she offers a, it. A, 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 a. Yeah, so fine, consensual, that's fine. But I thought, would that flipping egg, I wish... I'd have had that kind of smooth move. Oh, would you even have the nuts to try it as well? No, no, I wouldn't. Because it would be like, as in... i tell you what I would do. I, I would potentially say I don't kiss on a first date and then I'd walk away and I'd go home and that would be the, <laughs> the end. <laughs> that would be as smooth as it gets. I'm off. Yeah. See ya. Oh, dear. So, yes, that is it is good. It's very, very slick and smart of him, isn't it? But the, one of the other, th- the creepy thing that he does, he does a couple of other creepy things. At this point, I would like to think it's semi-consensual, at least, because mm. they're dating and there's, there's the relationship's yeah. established. Except she is nearly engaged as well, which, but that, let's, let's brush that's over that. Of, that's, in my opinion, that's kind of her problem. She, oh, yeah, she, no, it's she not kept his. that one going. Yeah, you know what I mean? yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so he's walking out. This is it's getting to crunch time with regards to him leaving town because he knows the hit is put out on his yes. head. He's gone back to her apartment um, after seeing her in the bar with said fiance, and mm-hmm. she she pursues him. She sacks off the guy in the bar and pursues him. They end mm-hmm. up back at her apartment again, drinking wine. Jimmy's got other stuff on his mind, but she's obviously wanting the night. You know, not to end. She mm-hmm. wants to carry on enjoying the wine and the the atmosphere and the mood. And but he has to leave, and he goes. He does a similar thing, I suppose. He walks off. I'm away, and she's sitting all dejected and disappointed on the sofa. Then he approaches her from behind, like <laughs> unbeknownst to her, puts his hands like round her neck, pulls oh, yeah. pulls her head backwards, and then mm. performs like. An upside down kiss, which again, it's like okay, she was it was nice. He came back, he gave her something, like that. and then he gives her a kiss, and then he kisses both of her eyes before <laughs> he leaves. <laughs> and yeah, a bit, bit creepy. The hands round the neck, pulling the head back. Yeah, and an eye kiss. I think the eye kiss is fine in isolation, but I think it's the combination of of the. Yeah, the the creeping up from behind, the grabbing, <laughs> and not grabbing around the neck, but like gently doing. Yeah, it. yeah, but still, coaxed her head back, if you will. Yeah, yeah, and I, wasn't there something on the first date as well? Something in the doesn't he doesn't he recite something? Oh no, he gets the guy to come over. Oh, he translates, and he translates, himself. and it's awful. Like honestly, that bit is so bad. So, yeah, because but, he offers to translate as I'm well, that's you, yeah. if if <laughs> if she'd have said, "Don't speak Italian," could you translate for me? I think that that is fine. But for him to like offer up this, uh, this is what I'm going to do for you, and he does it in this really like monotone kind of just like really straightforward. 
I love your eyes. <laughs> I miss the way you walk. Do you know what I mean? It's but so bad. It's made funny though because he gets that one line. He's like, "I don't know what that means," and it's kind yeah. of funny. And so it's right. like it breaks up because yeah, anyone watching it would go, "Oh, that's a bit cheesy in it." That, yeah, what you've just done. But then he ballses it up at the one line because he doesn't know what he said. Um, I suppose that is like the, the the kind of comic relief of of that bit, isn't it? That yeah. the fact that he does do that. But yeah, the actual, the very literal translation, it reminds me of that episode of Father Ted where Father Hernandez comes round and he's speaking Spanish to them. But there's like, it's it's dubbed over the top what he says. <laughs> he's yeah. talking about Mrs. Doyle and he's like talking about going, oh, like this. And then it's like, Mrs. Doyle is a very beautiful woman. <laughs> it's like really literal and really matter of fact, like a, an over the top um straightforward dub yeah but were there any lines that you uh you enjoyed i've got tons because these well are the hit, me, hit me with hit me with yours so i've got i've only got one but hit me with yours. the lines that i that were repeated and probably still are between me my housemate Sai, and my brother as a result of us all watching it and then have since been immortalized are um we talk, if we were talking about someone that we knew or someone who's changed or someone like that, whenever the guy Joe in the diner is talking about Jimmy the Saint, never tell you about Jimmy the Saint, Tasnia's from Flatbush. And then he'd be going, he said, um, in his day, the bitches bastards. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but in his day. So if we were ever talking about someone, Sai or Krista would just go, in his day, the bitches bastard. <laughs> Um, so that line's a fun one. Um, whenever uh, Christian always used to, like my brother always used to talk whenever we were working together, he would always use Christopher Walken lines, like man with the plan lines to mm. talk about the job we were doing. Cause he readily refers to the job. He's like, uh, it's just an action. It's not a piece of work. It's just an action. So whenever we had like jobs coming up, it was like, ah, it's just an action. It's not a piece of work. Um, and then if I would say, oh yeah, nice one. And then he's trying to kind of guilt him into doing the job, using his dead wife as someone who mm. knew as a reason mm-hmm. to do it. Do it for me, do it for Cynthia, my dead wife. And he'd go, do it for Cynthia. <laughs> <laughs> just do it, do it. So yeah, do it for Cynthia. It's just an action. It's not a piece of work. Well, I I just had the one, and I th- I think this is from Critical Bill, and it it shows his self awareness of um, of just him as a person, mm. and I can't remember how he delivers it, but he 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 says, um, "I'm out of my tits." <laughs> Y'all should have known. I'm out of my tits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because he says, doesn't he? You shouldn't have let me do the job. Yeah, it's kind up. of like you, it's your, it's sort of your it's fault. Your fault. Yeah, you you shouldn't have relented and allowed me to take to take that very important role mm. because you know I'm out of my tits. <laughs> yeah, it's your fault, Jimmy. Your fault. Well, this film, I suppose, before we move on, mm. has some uh, some interesting points in as much as it doesn't have a Hollywood working class hero per se. Well, it does actually. Freddie Franchise is played by William Forsyth, who's been in a number of different movies. 
um, again, you probably is he the is he the old the old guy in 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 the diner? No, he's franchise. He's the one who lives in the trailer park with his missus and the kids. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yes, he he was he was in the Rock. So he was in the Rock, um, and also Lucinda, uh, the prostitute. She is the girl from Return to Oz. She is. She is Dorothy. We've also done Speed and Baby Sinister in the who takes Easy Wind in under his yeah. protection. He's the yeah. guy in the black Mercedes who. Music, music man, or whatever his name is. Music man, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's got music man on the, yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the registration. So, yeah, so there's a number of kind of crossover moments. Um, <clears throat> not to mention the fact that, of course, Andy Garcia is in the next film that we're going to to look at too. Is that is that your perfect transition? That's from my one segue film to right the other. There. Okay, yeah. awesome. That's my my switcheroonie. So that being said. Let's have a look. The Untouchables. Now, this one, this is quite the description. Again, from this is from Apple TV, this one. This is where I watched it. Um, this is the opening line. The critics and public agree. Yeah. Brian De Palma's The Untouchables is a must-see masterpiece. Yes. Glorious. Fierce. Larger-than-life depiction of the mob warlord who ruled Prohibition-era Chicago and the law enforcer who vowed to bring him down. Yeah. This classic confrontation between good and evil, excuse me, stars Kevin Costner as federal agent Elliot Ness, Robert De Niro as gangland kingpin Al Capone, and Sean Connery as Malone, the cop who teaches Ness how to beat the mob, shoot fast and shoot first. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, where do we begin here? Where, why, why did you choose this movie? Well, for all those reasons and more. So this this obviously came out in 1987, so I would have caught it years later, mm. probably recorded off TV at some point. Yes. Again, probably my brother recorded it off TV somewhere. We we always from what I remember, we always had a copy of this somewhere <laughs> floating around. F- floating around. And you and, and it wasn't necessarily like a bought copy, but definitely like a taped off TV copy. Would it have been on like one of those VHS 3-hour cassettes? Yeah. That would have recorded. You could have got a couple of movies on. If you did it long play. If you long play, yes, of course. So if you did it long play. Slightly um, worse quality. Yes. But you get more on. Little few fewer frames. And yeah. but also, was it that important as a a video to keep that you snapped off the plastic tab? probably not. Probably <gasps> we, we very rarely did that. Mm. And then because <laughs> I mean what a great what a great little device that was. Yeah. To prevent you from accidentally recording over something you really wanted to keep. And then you could always just undo that by just putting a little bit of sellotape over that tab. Yes. And then course. you could re-record over the top. So I, I get more to the feeling that this was just, it was tucked away in where, where we used to keep all the videos. And you'd just be rooting through one day. You'd be like, what's on this? And you'd put the video in the machine. Yes. And you'd go, it's the untouchables. <laughs> 
what a glorious discovery that would have been. Oh yeah, just like going through like the scores of blank video cassettes because somebody that is either the labels worn off Nobody's or we just written never put or written it down. And what a great surprise that was just to go. Through. <laughs> you could take it all a whole day just going through videos yes. and oh, just gosh. like. You see, that's a total phenomenon, isn't it? That's another one. Oh, yeah, it's gone. The idea of, I've got a drawer. We had a drawer, right, in our living room. You'd pull it out, and we had the bought VHSs in there, in the plastic mm. boxes, you know, with the actual mm-hmm. covers and everything else. And then we just had a couple of columns, like they'd been arranged in rows, and a couple of columns would have just been like, yeah, blank VHS videos that you could record on. And yet mm-hmm. you would spend time then. What's on this? Let's have a look. Put it in. Rewind. Maybe go. Let's say it's two thirds of the way through. Oh, that movie's there, right? That's not going to be that long, though, given the length of this movie. Let's go all the way back to the start of the tape and see what's at the start of the tape. Mm. And yeah, going through. Reams. Mark, and then you could mark mark up if you if you could find some stickers, or if there was a sticker already on there, or yeah. like you you try and do something so you could almost catalogue what's on this. So, you, yeah, you'd put Untouchables and then Highlander and then whatever was on on the video. Soldier, soldier, whatever. <laughs> Something else off ITV. Yeah. Yes. But also, this is an interesting phenomenon that the kids will get to, was did you ever know anyone and or I did know someone who had two VHS players, who was an early uh, adopter of... Bootlegging. P- piracy, yeah, essentially movie piracy. Who, yeah, I could remember the first person I came across um, who had that was one of our mates growing up, um, their next-door neighbour, the guy, who we actually happened to know as well through church. So he had two VHS players and they were set up deliberately for the purpose of copying snidey VHSs. So they were stacked on top of each other, took one up to the TV and I don't know how he cabled it round the back, but he obviously had one going in and then another yeah, output. Yeah, you need an input, you need an, because the input, I'm trying to think how, how a VHS used to work. So you'd have, the aerial would have to come into the back of the VHS and then you'd have it come in from the VHS into the TV. Mm. So that that way you could record yeah whatever's being broadcast. Yeah. So you'd have to have a one of the VHS with the with the oh well, the out would just go instead of going into the TV would just go Straight into the, to other, the other VHS. Right. Yeah. 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 And it's so what? Really he, simple. So it's it's the same. <laughs> it's a very a crude way of making these these copies and so what he would do i remember specifically though is he had a little bit of a rep he'd go on holiday to america and as we've discussed before movies would come out months maybe even years like the previous year come back with vhs copies of these well this is another thing because you'd have to have ntsc ntsc playable (laughs) vhs and i think he did wow so He'd come back, make snidey copies. And I remember our mate's brother at the time going, oh, our neighbour's got this movie that he's made a copy of for me. 
And it's like, that's not even coming out until Guns wow. N' Roses went. And he had a little bit of a rep and a little bit of, I don't know if he, he might, I reckon he probably charged a few quid as well. He, I bet he did. He sh- I, I hope he did in a way. Yeah. I know that piracy, piracy is a crime, but yeah. it's like a victimless crime, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> I know those poor. It's shocking, isn't it? Because they had that writers' strike at Hollywood, didn't it? How many of us went? Oh, those poor writers in Hollywood not getting paid what the superstar director and actors get paid. None of us did, did we? In fairness, mm, I have some sympathy for it, but yeah, uh, par- only, only Okay. And yeah, yeah. Only I appreciate because it includes like all the all the ones who aren't on huge multimillionaires. Like this, you know, there are some poorer writers involved in in yeah. that as well. But it's the idea that I'm sorry, mate. I'm not having you striking, claiming poverty when I've got NHS nurses <laughs> striking. Yeah, at the no, same yeah, time. yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I can't quite weigh them up in the no. same same way. Sure. But yeah, piracy. Oh, back in, I mean, back in the day when you had that available, it was so much more prev- prevalent than than today. Where if you, most of us just stream stuff, it's much more watertight with regards yeah. to what you can do. The VHS phenomenon is very much uh, a phenomenon that was alive and well during the the time yeah. you'd have at least watched the Untouchables. Oh yeah, absolutely. And then I. I bought it on DVD um, in my early 20s. So I've probably not seen it for a a long time, but just like on a whim, there was like a special edition with like a poster and stuff. And I was like, I'm having myself that. And it was. Did you you put up the poster? (laughs) No, I was too old for that. But I I kept it for. I had it for. Well, until recently when we moved and got rid of all the. We just had like a cull, like we Junk. don't need don't need DVDs and stuff anymore. No, got rid of most of them. So, so yeah, but man, but from the from the first time I watched it, absolutely loved it. And I don't know how old I was, probably like ten or something. But just I thought it was. I didn't really fully understand it, mm. but just loved it from from the first time watching it, and even now. Oh, it's, it's watching it last night. It's so good, just so still so so good. And I think that's possibly because of the time that it's set. Um, so it hasn't aged in in that way. You know, it's not it's not it's not a contemporary piece, so it, it can't age because it was, you know, set fifty years previous than than when it was made anyway. But he's so like the acting is brilliant. The the score is so good, <laughs> and I'll talk about that in a bit more. But it's it's um, by um, Ennio Morricone, who Ennio did Morricone, good, the bad, yes. did the uh, good, the bad, and the ugly. Well, uh, you say he did. You say he did that. He's like hundreds. one of Hollywood's most foremost score. Writers, yeah, he's prolific. It? Prolific. Yeah. But the the score is so good. Brian De Palma, mm-hmm. who also di- I mean, I haven't watched a lot of his films to be fair. But again, some some of the films he's done. Carrie, I didn't realize that was that was him yeah. who directed Carrie. Scarface, Scarface. 
Carlito's Way. Carlito's Way, yes. The, the first Mission Impossible, not a fan, but I've never well, seen it. But the thing is, but huge. the first Mission Impossible, I am a fan of. Because, oh, really? I see, because I've never seen it. Because it's Brian De Palma, and it's right. actually really engaging, and it's a really good take on Mission Impossible before Tom Cruise got his tiny little tiny, hands on yeah, it. Yeah, right, yeah. And it's all now it's all just about Tom Cruise. The Tom Cruise show, yeah. Yeah. And and a film which I think goes under the radar. I think I think it's really good from what I remember of it. Um, Snake Eyes with Nicolas Cage, mm. which is a bit like of a kind of a mystery um, that could be described as a thriller. Yeah. You know, in the way it's filmed, it's really clever. Um, but yeah, I mean, what what was your first imagining of this film or the first realisation memories oh, memories I mean again it would have been yeah on a, v, a VHS floating around that mm. made its way into the VHS drawer and would readily get watched as a teenage boy uh, and or probably before that with an older brother oh check this out check out the right again as intriguing as it was from a historical point of view, now as somebody who probably appreciates the plot a lot more, mm-hmm. uh, when you would have first watched it when you were younger, it, just for, in terms of the action, yeah, the good, the goodies, the baddies, it's still a fairly simple storyline of mm-hmm. the goodies are out to get the baddies, and this is what they're going to do to do it. They're going to shoot Tommy guns, and they're going to have, you know fights it's going to be back and forth and consequently mm-hmm. it's going to make for a really entertaining film um laying that all to one side i mean you mentioned the score which as soon as it kicks in it's like i am engaged you know the untouchables right. theme didn't didn't and you're like this is great this sounds amazing and every every scene Every character and every plot line has its own score, essentially, its own piece of music to bring about an emotive response in you as a viewer, having Mm -hmm. been introduced to them all right from the get-go. Like the (laughs) the first three scenes happen into the first seven minutes of the film, and it's three of the most... um, engaging shocking and also serene scenes in a film and this is the first seven minutes and by the time they're over you are deeply engaged in the film you've got Robert De Niro who just captivates in a one shot scene single shot scene before the Mm -hmm. age of we're going to do an entire movie single shot Uh, this was crane shot just cranes into his chair he's being shaved he's living this lavish lifestyle and it holds it there i know i know it's got like the you know the blurb that like is setting up like the the the, the, what's happening at the time so so it's kind of yeah he he's off to the left hand side and then you've got the 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 writing on the right hand side to let us know but it holds that shot for so long with with nothing happening well there is things happening he's having his nails done and his shoes shined and his and And his face being prepped yeah (laughs) his face in this beautiful wooden uh, yeah really ornate deco decked out room yeah and then crane shot in 
it's on him, then it's on him and it's not moving. Yes. You do get some cutaway shots while he delivers his piece and De Niro just kills it right in the first scene. It's like you are engaged with him because he's delivering the dialogue so perfectly as mm-hmm. this charismatic criminal who everybody just dotes on his every word. Yes. He's delivering this dialogue or this monologue to newspaper reporters who are there right. to hear what he's got to say because he's this gangland kingpin as it says with all the money mm-hmm. um he's the one that they're gonna have to topple and so you get that scene it immediately introduces him then it but also but also but also just before we move away so like it tells you everything about his character because he's suave mm. he's he's a really good good businessman and yet so when when he gets cut and it's his fault that mm. he gets cut because he moves in response to to one of the questions he's been asked, so the guy's just about to start shaving him, and he or he's in in he's already shaving him, and he kind of moves to react, mm. and he and the guy cuts him, and it cuts away to to the barber's face, and he has this look of just absolute horror mm. on his face, and he's petrified, and De Niro is as Al Capone just kind of like. He's like, it's fine. Like, it's fine. And he just kind of brushes it off and, and moves on. Mm-hmm. But that tells us the fear that everybody had, you know, that, that, that like, yes, he is this suave and, and the, the reporters are laughing at the kind of things that he's saying. And it seems like it's, it's almost like a jovial atmosphere. Yeah. But then it's broken. It changes straight In away. that instant. And it's like calculating the way that Capone just goes, just kind of like lets it go. Yeah. It's, it's brilliant. You can't you can't help but feel as well that if the reporters weren't there, that would have gone differently. Oh yeah, <laughs> and yeah. he had to stop himself yes. from reacting how he probably usually would have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you've got that. Then cuts to uh, an old saloon type um, place in in this spot in Chicago, uh, a bar cafe where. His bootlegged booze is trying to be peddled. But yes. of course, the, the proprietor of the bar is saying, no, I'm not having any of it. And again, it seems like a, a fairly innocuous affair. They go, okay, yeah. no problem, we'll leave you to it. There's a child in there picking up some bits and bobs for their mum. And of course, in the process of that, there's a, a bomb is left and they blow the whole place up, including the kid. Yeah, and, and watching that as a kid, that left a huge mark on oh, me yeah. because it's it's the way she's just like, you forgot your brief and it's and the whole shot front just Kaboom. explodes. Yeah. And and the way that then they escape, you know, that Nitty gets into a into a car and drives off at high speed. But it's it's just like you're not expecting that. No. It comes out of with no warning whatsoever and it's just like boom, boom. <laughs> you're you're in. Yeah. And then cut from that, again, from the point of the first two scenes to then Elliot Ness, Kevin Costner, his wife, home life, almost like this all-American, picturesque, serene environment is just absolute harsh contrast to the first two that we've seen. Mm. And then that's it. The two forces are kind of teed up and that's where you know it's going to go from there, you know. 
happy pregnant wife making him lunch. You've got to go to work. Yeah. Here he is. He's reading right. about the previous scene in the newspaper. And does he does he even speak? I don't even think he does. No. I, and you don't see his face. It's it's not not fully. It's it's from the back because mm. he's reading the newspaper. So you see the back of his head. Him reading the newspaper about this this explosion and this kid that's been killed. Um, and it's all her saying like, yeah, I, I heard about that, and um, and you don't. And then she just yeah, kind of like kisses him off to work, yeah. and that's the that's the introduction to him, and that's that. So yeah, that those first seven minutes. I mean, we're introduced to everyone. You get the performance that you expect from De Niro, mm. but I'm trying. I looked up on INDB Kevin Costner to see what he'd done prior to Untouchables. What like what films? Yeah, to see like. He was oh, okay. he was established enough in loads of other movies, but then it was just like this seemed to be like his major like break big breakthrough. Run. Yeah, like mm. full on. You are thrust into the Hollywood limelight with this role, um, and then within a matter of years, it was a case of actor and director Kevin Costner doing Dances with Wolves, doing Robin Hood, doing. Waterworld. Um, well, yeah. <laughs> Waterworld. Waterworld was almost ten years later. Um but yeah, this you just this was a big well, JFK. JFK. JFK and um another film were all was all in the same year. It was like he became like this household yeah. name as a result of probably this, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um But it's not just again. I suppose looking at casts, this is like major, big time cast. You've got De Niro, you've got Costner, and then you've got Sean Connery. Yeah. Now I, I've got something to say about Sean Connery's acting in this film. Okay. <laughs> and some something about obviously he's supposed to be an Irish cop. Yeah. And. And they don't really, they don't really refer to him as as Irish, or of Irish descent or anything. Obviously, his name is Maloney, mm. so there is and and you know Catholic and and I think it's I think it's right that they don't really reference his Irishness or and they don't make him. I don't think he tries to attempt an Irish accent at any point. There's maybe a slight hint here he or does there. A bit, yeah. But he's he can't do accents, and that's fine. That's not a problem. Mm-hmm. Just don't. I'd rather somebody not do an accent than do an accent bad, and so he just doesn't do one. Oh no, because I think the only, of course, Nitty calls him a stuck a Irish a stuck pig, Irish pig mm. and Stone Andy Garcia. Doesn't he, he refer to him? He calls him an Irish a, pig as well. I think. Irish pig as well. So there is there is references to his Irishness, but yeah. He's, he's never. He's, it's fine that he doesn't mm-hmm. doesn't affect an Irish accent because clearly he can't. But there are a few moments where I go, and I think it's um, as he's as he's dying, like it's a bit. It's a bit kind of. I don't want to say hammy, but it, I don't think it's the best the best performance I've ever seen of anybody 
Well, that is to say his, his Oscar-winning performance. I know, but this is it. I didn't realise he won an Oscar for this role because I was a, I was being way too critical um, of of the just very a few moments where I go like, oh, that's 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 a bit kind of not great. But in fairness, his last line in the film is when his Scottish accent comes out the most. Oh, massively! Yeah, he's like, yeah, yeah. What are you prepared to do about it? <laughs> Oh, do, but do you know what, right? And I think it's it's the whole the whole setup of let, let's just talk through that scene because that that okay. whole sequence is oh it's so good yeah from from beginning to end. So the the way we have that POV view of of the person the infiltrator getting into his mm. his house and the tension because I, you almost feel tense from his. From from our point of view, the killer's point of view, yeah. because he's wandering about the the apartment, and we don't really know where he is or where he's doing, and and we're we're you know trying to get into the apartment and follow him around, and it's really tense from our point of view, and then we have that moment where he pulls out pulls out the gun, which again refer any he, he references, oh you've brought a, a knife to a gunfight, mm. and he just kind of like orders him out. And then, and then that chaotic, um, where he's just gunned down in the most mm. brutal of ways, and it's it's quite graphic. Um, you know, there's a lot of blood bag blood bags being blown up all over the place. <laughs> yeah. And then Front, frontal exit wounds. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then and then him dragging himself across the mm. floor and and all the blood. And then we've got the contrast of. Capone at the at the um uh, is it that show isn't he the um, he's watching, the opera he's watching um Pagliacci all oh, right okay and it is and it's beautiful right the music is mm. again beautiful and and he's really emotional uh, watching watching this scene and he kind of gets the mess you know nitty comes and basically tells him it's done yeah like we've we've killed him and he's, there's no reaction to that, but he's he's reacting so emotionally to this to this opera that's going on in front of him. It's so so good. And then obviously Ness and um, Stone come, and he's trying to get that message to them about the fact that um, bookkeeper's going to be on this train, and he yeah. you know, and he th- he throws he pa- gives him he thinks he wants mm-hmm. the pendant, and he gives him the pendant, and he throws that away, and he really wants the paper. And honestly, it makes me emotional every time I watch that because you know, it is that line. It's that line of "What are you going to do about it?" And then yeah. he's—that's it. He's gone. But I, it's, oh, it's it's oh, flipping you know, heck. It's so actually, good. It's funny you say that. There was a period, a period in my life, <laughs> where, um, as this be one of those films that you watch over and over again all the mm. time. There was a period I couldn't watch that scene. Really? Because it was too much for me. Right. Like, that's how emotive it is as a scene. Like, I would get to that point where I knew he was going to be shot and he'd get shot and I'd go, right, I'm fast-forwarding this. Because I can't... Oh, really? I can't, I can't, <laughs> can't do it. it. I can't handle it. No because way. it's that emotive and that much of a, a distressing mm. thing to watch to the point where, yeah, like, maybe early teens through to where I would have been watching it into my 20s, I'd be like, 
I'll watch it, no problem. And now I watch it and I really appreciate it for what it is. Mm. And that just goes to show how good it was in eliciting this emotive response in me Yeah, as to how dramatic this scene was. Like you say, offset against the drama of the, the opera yeah. and the response from... Um, from De Niro as Capone, almost like a full, uh, full emotional response to what's happening around him when he knew that. Or, or, or is it that? Yeah, like a, like a, is it is it a fake response or is it just that he's? This is something that touches him emotionally, whereas like gunning people down, his enemies, yeah, not a that, that's just business. <laughs> that's it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like that's even the most in the brutal of way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I couldn't watch that when he dies, and then when you, of course, when you see Andy Garcia as well, getting all emotional yeah. as a result of with his beautiful hair, kind his of beautiful, over his yeah, his beautiful widow's peak slicked back into <laughs> falls out of place. You know, yeah. it's going, it's going downhill from there. But just on the note of Sean Connery, there's there's two other things that make me kind of make me chuckle, I suppose. I don't think we can really decry his performance. It was great. No, I'm and being wait. It's just like like two two moments, and I was being overly yeah. critical. And 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 the fact that he can elicit that kind of response yeah. with with that that line, yeah, it, it is a brilliant. And I think Oscar worthy. Oscar worthy. Well, there you go. The Academy agrees. Yeah. Um, but one thing I suppose should be noted as well. This is a role where. Connery himself should again be commended because he in this movie is seen to be embracing his baldness yeah no wigs no not even like a we're going to keep you clean shaven up top Sean just to keep it no it was just like no this is it that you can see this is the hairline I've got hair on the back there's not besides. No. This is it. And um, I think that was one of those... It's brave. It's brave. It was, bra- it was, a bra- it was very brave. <laughs> it was brave of him. I think you can really... Especially uh, being alongside Andy Garcia with his beautiful Oh, locks. but this is it. Uh, Kev Costner as well. Yeah. Kev Costner's got a thick mane of rich gold And knit- Nitty. Nitty's got great hair. Nitty's got great hair. He's it, surrounded by people with beautiful hair in this film yeah. and in the 30s you think about this is like styles. the age of brill cream and yeah. and and yeah i mean styles yeah. that are now being created now men are oh, aspiring yeah. to those styles now so yeah but bold a bold brave move mm. i think he wasn't just making that move for himself he was representing all all the bold men <laughs> and then and then and then just years later he he you know, he went back on that and it was wigs all the way. Yeah, so with The Rock, it was like, oh, I'm going to... Two, two wigs for The Rock. <laughs> couple of wigs. Yeah, a couple of wigs. So, yeah. Uh, but this one, I think that was maybe part of the, the, the genius and or the genuine nature of his character. He wanted to really be in touch with himself to draw on, mm. draw from the, in, the inner sanctum of his his acting capabilities by going full... Full bald. But can I can I talk can I talk about the music again? Yes, because I, I think we need we need to appreciate just how good this music is. So, mm. like you say, the untouchables theme, and you just have that kind of like the the snare and like 
the this occasional kind of like bass drum that just kind of comes in and the and that's kind of replicated there's there's one piece of music which really really i think sets the tone for the scene and it's when they go to the canadian border mm. and they're they're waiting for this for the deal to take place and they're in the cabin and it, and it's um, is it Ness who's looking through the binoculars, yeah. waiting for the for the cars to arrive? And now, you and I can both appreciate this as as both bass players. So the 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 score, the the musical piece to that scene, is it just kind of starts with like a bass, mm. and it's it's this irregular kind of, <laughs> but it but it it's it's not as regular as that. It's kind of like sometimes it's like it'll be two beats or and then three. It's just one note, You're just playing one note over and over and over again. Mm. But it's this irregular kind of pattern of sometimes two to the two to the four, sometimes three to the four. Um, and it doesn't seem to follow any kind of sequence or pattern. And again, it gives this sense of unease mm. that this this is a tense. This is going to be this is going to be a tense. And then. So this is why we're all waiting for it to happen, and then obviously they're ready to go. They're on horseback, and the and the daft mounties start coming down off the mountain oh, yes. way too soon, um, and they just have to go. And then you get this like really bright score, mm. and 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 it's kind of this exciting kind of, um, uh, yeah, not it. It kind of the tension almost all completely goes, and it's kind of you almost like a euphoric kind of mm. this is brilliant That's this is it. exciting it's, it's, we're riding it's majestic into it. almost isn't it yeah it's majestic triumphant which which yeah which seems like an odd choice knowing that they're they're going to go into this kind of like battle situation mm. and just how but it but it works perfectly because they are it's like they are, is this kind of the four of them on horseback riding into battle mm. and it's almost like we know this is going to be fine because the music's oh, telling us it's going yeah, to be fine won. yeah they've got yeah. the upper hand it did make me chuckle that um when the mounties come down to the bridge on the the river of the canadian border mm-hmm. that they start they, they get onto the bridge it's like hang on we talk about implausible moments in the movie the fact oh, that none of them get gunned down. Absolutely not, not a single horse, <laughs> not a single mounty. They're yeah. just spraying Tommy gun fire at their yeah. at, in their direction. It's like, hang on, how has not one bullet made contact with yes. any single one? Well, Man no beast. That might be the one of the only criticisms I have of this film is mm. is 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 that really? Because that is implausible. Because no, yeah, nobody gets shot. No stone gets shot in in the arm, in the shoulder, yeah, that's true, and that's yeah. it. But that, but that is it. That is the only shot any of the good guys mm. takes. Is is stone one one blast to the shoulder? Yeah, I think other other <laughs> picking up bits and bobs, like. Overall, I think, like you say, the description calls it a, a masterpiece and most people would agree. There's one piece of foley which also makes me laugh when it happens in um, the scene where the first liquor raid has gone down after Malone's joined the team and he's told Kevin Costner, if you want to actually find out where the booze is, it's here, everybody knows. Yeah, everybody knows. It's just, it's just do you have the guts willing, to go get it? Yeah, are you willing to cross Capone to do yes. it? Yes. They do it, 
and Capone's man is on the round table with all the baddies. They've obviously met for the baddies, <laughs> yeah. a baddies dinner. And it's, it's, uh, a baddies a bad, dinner. They've met for the baddies dinner. They've got the top. Are you top. going to the baddies dinner tonight? Yeah, I best get my suit dry cleaned. I'll find my flashiest dicky bow for the baddies dinner. Um, so they're having a baddies dinner and then Capone gets up to talk about to give a little rousing teamwork, speech, teamwork. Yeah. But in the process, he also knows he's got to make an example of someone who's like yeah. team down with his. Well, he's not. But the thing is, he hasn't really. It's just that he's been raided. Yeah, this is it. <laughs> but anyway, anyway. So, but he's been singled out because he's, yes. he's been singled out because Capone needs to show that he's. You know, you cross, you fail me in any which way, whether it's your fault or not. And death. there's going to be consequences. Death, yeah. yeah. So he makes the comparison between the team of baddies and the baseball team and everything the baseball mm-hmm. team does. This is how we need to work together. And then there's that really brutal moment, in fairness, where he takes the baseball bat out because he's using it as a bit of an object lesson. Mm-hmm. And um, he delivers the first blow to the back of the dude's head. <laughs> and it sounds like a... A baseball being struck into left field. It goes crunk <laughs> as he hits the first strike. Well, it, it, it reminded me of those moments in Braveheart that, that we, we we would always like yeah. like reenact the noises because it, it it is one of those kind of yeah noises and it mm. and it is brilliant because it is just that like you say just like a dunk. yeah a proper bonk like a bonk sound. So that made me chuckle. But do you know what's really good about that? So obviously, yeah, there's we, we can find a bit of humour in that. But it, again, it, as a kid, that that is a, a visceral scene. Oh, that you remember. Because, you know, because it yeah. sort of comes out of nowhere. Like, I wasn't anticipating that. It's just the same with the bomb. I wasn't anticipating that. I wasn't expect. I mean, you, you, you appreciate it's about to happen because he, he's sort of like the way Capone's face mm-hmm. is that, you know, and he's kind of like gripping the bat. And you know something bad's about to happen, mm. but it's and then again the music's brilliant. But it's like the way, and we get the reverse crane shot. Oh yeah. Cool. So like so so we 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 close in on the back of the guy's head, and then the crane lifts, and we see the whole horror oh, of the blood yeah. spreading see, over blood, that table, and it's like blood and bread. It's really thick, and like yeah. red red wine from the cup is yeah. spilled all over it, and it's like yeah. crystal. Of Glass or shattered. But it's because do you hit the, when when he hits him on the back of the head? Mm. I can't remember, so, but somebody reacts, and I can't remember what he says. But you just hear one person kind of like gasp or like exclaim something, and everybody else is just silent mm. because you don't want to react in that moment. You just you would be terrified. But it's again, it's so good. Yes, but so. One of the maybe I've just I've actually just had a thought. So you know how I said um, I couldn't watch the Malone death scene. Mm. When I explain to you now what I'm going to explain to you, maybe if I put two and two together, this is part of the reason why. Is so me and my brother always laugh at my my dad, right? So my dad's a really gentle, sweet guy. Like he's not Mm -hmm. he's not the kind of fella who ever would have kicked off. 
and I honestly can't, I, I couldn't tell you, I could maybe count on one hand, a couple of fingers on one hand, the amount of times I've actually ever seen my dad really get mad and kick off at, mm-hmm. certainly to me. I think he kicked off at my brother more because my brother was a tall rag growing up. He was a wrong and money. He was a bad egg, yeah, bad seed. So <laughs> he would have kicked off at him more. But whenever my dad kicked off, because it wasn't something that was so commonplace in his, his rep, his repertoire, it was almost sometimes a bit contrived, like he had to force it out of himself. Oh, right. I'm going okay. to get mad at you now. Um, <laughs> and it would almost seem like a little bit over the top or a little bit, like I say, a little bit acted, over A bit hammy. Yeah, a bit hammy, to the point where me and Christian recognised, you know, in after, post-liquor raid, they've got the guy, Georgie or whatever he's called, who has information with regards to this, the liquor sales ledger that can finger oh, yes. Capone, you know, and can crack the code of, of how they've yes. written it in to keep a record but not link it back to them. And they're trying to get some information out of him on the scene. And he's, he's just and not, he's, not, he's having, not letting up. Yeah. He's having none of it. And so Malone's kicking off. And in the process of him kicking off, he does like hand gestures and like the way that he speaks, like he points like this and like right. he's moving his arm and like getting properly into it, shaking his fist and stuff. And I'm like, <laughs> my brother knows, he says, have you ever noticed like when our dad kicks off, he looks like Sean Connery from Untouchables <laughs> during that scene? Because somebody's going to talk. Somebody's going to talk. Yeah, I'm telling you now. And start shaking his fist and pointing at you. Like it reminds, I think it reminds Christian of a moment when my dad kicked off at him once because of something he'd said to my sisters. And uh, my, my brother said, what? What's the problem? And my dad goes, it's your mouth again. <laughs> <laughs> and in the process, he did the Sean Connery point, pointed at him, it's your mouth again. Um, so is that what it is? So then, then you equate your dad yeah, with, so with Malone, Maybe so I him, like, get, him oh, getting gunned down at the like end, that's like your dad. To ribbons, right, and like, right. To, per, my dad's dying to fucking Pagliacci. Yeah, and yeah. And in the background, I hear, I picture Christian crying like Al Capone. <laughs> <laughs> Because he's the one who's called the hit on him. Yeah. But yeah, then maybe oh, that's dear. it. But it is Maybe that is it. How Connery basically just looks like my dad when he's kicking off in those scenes. <laughs> I think we've, we've got to talk, if, we, if we're wrapping up, we've got to talk about one more scene, mm. which is the, the iconic train station. And again, this, right, again, yes. well, of course, I mean, there's more. The, you know, you, the the... The scene on the on the roof of the the courthouse, where of course Nitty gets his gets his comeuppance, but that 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 bit's fine. But the um, the the train station scene again is the tension with nothing happening. So you know what this is. You know what this is an homage to. This scene. I, I read something that it's an homage to like an, a film from the twenties or thirties, but I can't remember. So it's remember. a Russian Russian film, uh, Battleship Potemkin. There's right. a scene in that which it directly references the, the sense of panic and suspense, but also the the pram. That's the main thing that it really okay. kind of almost shot for shot copies right. um, as part of the scene. That was one of those things that, in fact, you know how we talked about when you watch this with an older sibling and they share stuff with you. Oh, that's such and such a gun, but they don't mm-hmm. actually know what they're talking about. No. This is actually probably the first piece of information about a film that would have been shared with me by my brother 
which he actually knew and understood legitimately <laughs> as a result oh, of okay. his media studies course that he was doing at Sutton Coalfield College at the time. Right. So he he got that pearl of wisdom and then shared it with me subsequently, like he was flipping Paul Gambaccini or someone. <laughs> <laughs> this is a this is a, an homage to Battleship Potemkin and the stairs. Well, I'll, I need to I need to watch that because again, obviously, if you're which I am. If you're experiencing that in isolation, and this is your first kind of knowledge of mm. of anything like that, it is so tense. It is so. It's because again, the, the, there's there's this there's a bit of music going on there. There's not not much. It's 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 this really eerie lullaby. Mm. And then on top of that, they've laid these like almost horror-like strings yeah. that kind of aren't not strong, but like that just just kind of really subtle. And it's it's the the so the juxtaposition of, of the two different scores going on, and then and then you've got people coming and going in the train station. And the fact that he's just stood waiting, and we know it's going to kick off. Mm. We know it's going to be going to be a, a a battle and he's you can it's almost like in his eyes and it just cuts back to to kevin costner every so often and it's just the fact that he's watching this scene play out where this mother's trying to get this pram up these stairs and nobody's helping her and if it had just and it's almost like he's just in this he doesn't know what to do because he's got to wait he's he, you know it's so important that they get the bookkeeper and that's the whole point. And Malone's just been gunned down. And, you know, if he just went and helped her immediately to get her up and out of there would have been the best thing for him to do. But he's kind of caught in two minds and then he decides he's going to go do it. And he gets right to the top and he's almost like probably like two steps away mm. from from getting that pram to the top. And then he turns around and that that is so good because he tu- he turns around and there's the guy that he's punched in the face from the hotel because yeah. he because um oh because they've killed um Oscar um Wallace in the, Wallace in, in in the elevator and he's really reeling from that so he turns around sees that guy just put and that's a great shot mm. he's got his big trench coat on just pulls up his shotgun blasts him through the doors <laughs> no that's it no no marksmanship there was no there. just just blatted through through the glass and then that whole scene just plays out in slow motion mm. and and it's it again it's so good it's not it's not perfect because there's a few things that like it, it, if you really critique it too much mm. because the one guy who's been shot in both shoulders, it's like he almost starts aiming at the pram, and I don't know why necessarily you do that, but it seems to be that that's what he's doing. Mm. Um, but again, it's just tense, but perfectly perfectly weighted tension, yeah. and the fact that it's in slow motion as well is it, it's just oh, you're like, come on, get to where yeah. you need to go, like because Stones walking to another part of the station and he hears yes. the shots. So he's point, racing back. He turns around, and as he turns, it's all in slow motion. He starts running, and you're like, "Just get back, get to there, the yeah." <laughs> <laughs> because, because of course, Ness is trying to do two things here. Mm. He's he's sort of chasing after the pram, but also trying to like 
blatter the the gangsters and while avoiding getting shot himself and you've got the mother just go just again in in slow motion just mouthing my baby <laughs> <laughs> and it's horrible it's horrible and it, and it and it but it's emotive and it's just it is classic it's so well done that every time i know what's happening but i'm still completely taken with it yeah, and i'm i'm tense every time i'm watching that and then there's like sailors diving across getting shot in the yeah back getting and... shot in the back and then stone comes stone comes in and he slides in really cool tosses a gun up to ness yeah. who's just run out of bullets and he like stops the stops the pram from going any further mm. and just has the guy in his sights and and again that bit where he's just like you got him yeah, i got him i got him take him Oh, it's, it's so... The one thing as well that was like a touch of class on the editorial front was it was a slick way of doing that because he's like, I'm giving you to five. Yes. And then we're walking out of here and it's like, and he goes, one. And then you think, oh, they're going to let this go to five and you're going to be there. Yeah. And it's just like, it doesn't even get two out. And he just goes, yeah. and then it's just like, oh, and then Stone's like, two. <laughs> <laughs> So it's like, oh, nice. You've just established so Stone good. from the beginning to the end as the coolest character in this whole, yeah. this whole film. Yeah. Andy Garcia. Although, no, there is a moment. I think you do get signature Andy Garcia walk in this. I, I, well, I, I didn't pick it out. I thought maybe he developed that walk after. Which, which bit are you... Did he, uh... I'm picturing him. It's when... They're in his house and they think the DA is going to drop the case because they've not got the bookkeeper as part of the the prosecution. And they're in his house and it's all a mess full of boxes because his wife's looking to redecorate, isn't she? Mm -hmm. Um, And they sat there. Malone's like, right, I'm going to go off and I'm going to get a bit more information from the Bent Police Chief as to how we can take these guys down. And Stone's just pacing back and forth because he doesn't quite know what to do. They think the case is going to be closed and he's pacing up and down the kitchen and I think he's doing it. He's pacing. Maybe, maybe. I'll have to go back and rewatch. Just what? Just that scene. <laughs> I'll yeah, have to yeah that's that what I'll watch, watch that one scene just to see if he's strut, isn't it? Yeah, the, the, the short fulcrum of the arms. Yeah. Um, so, favourite lines to finish off? I mean, there's... I mean, for me... The, the what are you going to do about it is just an emotive yeah, line. line. It is yeah. it is a classic. Um, and the, the, the whole... Um, I think that the, there's some great... There's some great lines in the... When they're in the church. The blood oath scene. Mm. When he's, you know, talking about... Um, is that, that is the scene where he says, like, you put one... Of, he puts one of yours in the hospital, you put yeah. one of his in the morgue. Again, just great that's, lines of dialogue. That's the Chicago, that's the Chicago way. way. <laughs> yeah, um, and and of course we get the the judgy Mountie who's nearly balsed up the whole flipping thing, mm. and and it's when Malone goes and picks up the guy who is already dead <laughs> and puts a gun in his mouth and blasts his <laughs> blasts his brains out, and he and the Mountie's like, Mister um, Ness, I do not approve of your methods. Mm. And Ness is like, well, you're not from Chicago. He doesn't say it like that because he, because he doesn't <laughs> yeah. affect the Chicago accent, but he should. <laughs> yeah. No, that is great. That is fun. 
Mine's actually quite comical too, in fairness. It's when they do the first liquor raid and he goes up to the guy who eventually gets battered to death by Capone <laughs> and he gets the butt of the rifle in straight in the nuts and then one in yeah. the face and down he goes. And then Sean Connery says, how do you think he feels now? Better or worse? <laughs> well, it's so good because the guy's really whiny as well, isn't he? Oh, He's yeah. like, this isn't right. This isn't fair. You got like, a warrant. warrant. <laughs> yeah. So that I like the line one because it's a bit of cheese and a bit of fun. Yeah. Also, the fact that it's accentuated by the fact that Sean Connery's accent really works with the word. Yeah. Worse. Well, I just think Sh- Sean Connery can deliver any any line of dialogue, and it, just in that there is something about his accent which is not replicated by any other Scottish person ever. No. <laughs> speaking <laughs> speaking like this. It's the weirdest accent when you stop and think about it. You go. You're, yeah. But it's brilliant. You're meant to be from Glasgow. Hang on. Yeah. yeah. Surely he's affected that at some point. He's just gone, I can't... I would have loved to have heard what he actually spoke like. As a young fella. Yeah, because he must have gone... He must have toned it down for an American audience and just found this amazing, unique voice yeah. and just went, I'm sticking with that. The other line, I suppose, in contrast to prove your point... Um, is a really, it's like a throwaway line almost, but it does make me chuckle, is when he's chasing the guy after the liquor raid on the, in the Canadian mountains. And he's, he's just like, he obviously has the thought, why am I chasing him? He's got no yeah. gun and I've got a, a Tommy gun. So he just lets a little crack of, a little round of bullets off. So he stops running and he goes, all right, enough of this running shit. So yeah. Brilliant, Sean Connery carrying scenes with his with yeah. his over pronunciation. <laughs> but I think I think in 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 reflection, he he probably is the best thing because we don't see a lot we don't see a lot of um, Al Capone really. I mean, what what scenes De Niro's in is brilliant. Oh, he steals but do, him, yeah. do you know do you know what my favourite De Niro bit Capone bit is when he's <laughs> it's so good. I mean, the whole shot. I think that might even be a single shot. So we're we're in the hotel, mm. and he's he's had his breakfast is being prepared for him, mm. and it's being brought up to him on that tray. Yeah, and they give him some letters, and 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 then we go into the room, <laughs> and he's sat in bed with the with a honking cigar, mm. and he's reading the paper about how Elliot Ness's raid has basically was foiled because. Inside, they'd let him know. They'd let them know that they were coming, looking for the for the the whiskey. And he's got so he's reading it, and he's loving the fact that Ness has been made a fool of. And he gives off this cackle, mm. which is like the penguin from Batman. He kind of goes like, ah, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> while he's got a cigar inside. Yeah, his like in the side. Of his mouth. And that that whole scene is just to lead up to that moment. Yeah, just to, just to him you. going. <laughs> yeah. Well, fantastic. Two great movies. I've enjoyed enjoyed that start to the new year. Yes. Do you have anything in mind for a next? Oh, crap. I haven't even thought about it. Are we we going back to the original kind of... Original format. (laughs) The original format? Because I've much preferred watching these two than than the ones I used to think that were good. Maybe we could do these ones, these kinds of films periodically, but I'm going to go for something... Um, I've got something I could do. 
Okay, give me your suggestion. Slightly, slightly more contemporary, albeit still not that contemporary because it's probably coming up to about, I don't know, I don't even know when this one came out. Honestly, it was while I was at uni, so it's, it's probably coming Oh, okay, up. as recent as that. Maybe even 15, it's still 15 years old. <laughs> really yeah, old. that's um, got to be, when were you at uni? 2009 to 2000, oh no, sorry, 2006 to 2009. Oh, okay. So, yeah, could still be 15. Okay. Could still be Tail 15. end. Um, so, this is Marky Mark is Shooter. Oh, I've never seen this. Have you not? No. Oh, well, okay. you're in for an absolute treat. Brilliant. And I'm going for a proper Myconic Movies. Okay. I'm going for Short Circuit. Short Circuit. Brilliant. Now, this is the first one, not Short Circuit 2. So make sure you watch Short Circuit, okay. not Short Circuit 2. So no Los Locos? Not, not Los Locos, no. Oh, that's a little bit of a disappointment. But that's good. I've not seen this one in goodness only knows how long. So that'll be a nice flashback. Okay, brilliant. Well, until next time, we shall return with more Myconic Movies. <laughs> <laughs>